It is November 4th, and welcome to episode 146 of Fall Lines, the National Security Institute's podcast that gets you quickly up to speed three times a week on the national security and foreign, foreign policy debates shaking up America. Today, we're talking about the grain wars in Ukraine. Back in July, the UN and Turkey brokered two separate deals to end the Russian blockade of Black Sea ports and allow Ukraine, the breadbasket of Europe, to supply wheat, corn, barley, and other key commodities uh, to the world. Uh, Ukraine supplies about 40% of the world's uh, grain supplies uh, and is referred to as a breadbasket of Europe. This change in the posture post-invasion has led to a significant reduction in the price of wheat, which skyrocketed in the, in the immediate aftermath of the invasion, nearly doubling from about 260-some-odd dollars per metric ton to up in, the, up in the high to mid-400s. That number has now come down. But over the weekend, the Russians threatened to drop out of the, out of the, out of the deal, the Black Sea Grain Initiative that the U.N. and Turkey had brokered. Um, and as a result, wheat prices skyrocketed again, threatening uh, world grain supplies. Now, the Russians have gotten back in as of Wednesday after an attempt by the U.N. Uh, to continue to ship supplies out on Tuesday. The Russians have now hopped back into the deal. But this is, raises the question, right? Do Americans care about grain supplies from Ukraine? Should we care? Why should we care? And if we do care, what, if anything, should the United States do if the Russians go back into a blockade mode and once again shut down grain supplies from Ukraine as they did between February and July? Less. Jamil, let's give the administration some credit here. They did not have to resort to any extreme measures to solve this problem. They worked with the Turks. They worked with other countries. They worked with the U.N. to restore Uh, This arrangement that allows for shipments of grain out of Ukraine, this is a very positive thing. Let's give credit to the administration for doing the right thing. I think it would be a mistake if this situation arises again for the U.S. to have a much more forward-leaning posture in terms of flagging vessels with with the U.S. flag to make them a, a more difficult target or to get the U.S. Navy into the Black Sea and protecting shipments. I think that's going too far. That would be allowing the Russians to change the battlefield on us. They're looking for any way to distract us from the fact that they're losing on the ground to the Ukrainians. The administration has done the right thing here. They're focusing on what's happening on the ground. They're not getting distracted by this issue, and they're letting and they're solving it through diplomacy. So kudos to them. So no surprise, uh, Jess. Less wants diplomacy. He loves the idea of you know uh, of the government of the the administration hugging in the Russians and making them feel good about it. Uh, th- hold on, hold on. Before we go to Jones. That's not at all what I said. I'm not for hugging Russians. I'm for doing the right thing. We should only resort to military action or things that are close to military action as a very last resort. It would be a huge mistake to fall for the Russians' trap here. So before, yes. sadly, Jamil, I agree with Les. Um, I just want to point out like why this was in the headlines because, I mean, it was on the top of the Post, the Times, and it was across the country. I mean, right now there's almost 50 50- million people that live in acute food insecurity, right? Like that are on the edge of famine across the, across the world. And we know that food insecurity could destabilize other nations, could lead to more political and economic chaos. That can drag the U.S. into a lot of other turmoil and conflict, right? So that's why we care about it and why we're tracking this and why this is a huge deal. And like you pointed out, Ukraine supplies a lot of the Ukraine to a lot of, um, into a lot of nations. But to Les's point, I actually, I agree. I, I think that right now diplomacy has worked, right? Like the Russians, Pulled out on Monday, quickly saw the UN, the UN, Turkey were still in support of the agreement, was actually going to attempt to, to ship, you know, to um, move ships, and they backed down. 
to your point, I think 48 hours, 72 hours later, came back into the deal. So I, I, I agree with Les. Diplomacy has worked in this situation. And um, I I don't know how much you know more. I don't know if we want to start belligerent actions. Okay, Jamil's going to about to disagree with us, Les. I mean, look, look, I mean, I think it's great. I think it's great to hope against hope that the Russians will succumb to diplomacy and everything will go great. You know, it's just like the Biden administration's approach to the beginning of this conflict. Hey, if we just tell them we're going to be really mean to them, we're going to impose sanctions, they'll quake in their boots and they won't invade Ukraine. Well, Vladimir Putin demonstrated, like before, that he doesn't care about about U.S. sanctions. He doesn't care about diplomacy. He came across the border. He tried to go to Kiev. The only thing that actually prevented Vladimir Putin from taking all of Ukraine was the Ukrainians' own resolute will and our willingness to slowly, slowly leak in weapons and eventually ratchet up the, the weapons dramatically. And you know what that resulted in? It resulted in a ton of civilian deaths, a ton of destruction of Ukraine's infrastructure. There's still an ongoing war. That's what happens when deterrence fails. I'm for deterring any further Russian blockades. Make clear to them we had to flag up the we had to, we had to tell them that if they do it again, we're going to flag these as American tankers. We're going to put the U.S. military destroyers like we did the Iranians, and and said we're going we're going to dare them dare them to stop these grain ships from going through the, going through the Black Jamil. Sea. I think you're conflating the original invasion with the current situation that we're facing, uh, and let's be very clear. We don't need to do what you're saying to solve the grain problem. The grain problem has actually been solved. Going back to February and talking about a different deterrence approach that may have changed Russian behavior, that's fine. That's a different conversation. But right now on the ground, the Ukrainians are winning. The Russians would like to change that dynamic. They know they're not going to win on the ground, so they're trying to change international politics, other external factors. We shouldn't let them do that. What you're talking about would actually right now play into the Russians' hands and get us off our game. We need to focus on what's super important, giving the Ukrainians what they need to win on the battlefield. We're actually doing that. Let's keep doing it. Let's not get distracted by these other issues. Worst case scenario, if there is a grain crisis, we have other ways of dealing with it. We can spend a little bit of money and support lower grain prices by having more American shipments, by encouraging other countries to do humanitarian aid. We do not have to start sending in marine expeditionary units to Ukraine, which I know you don't think uh, that you want to do and that we won't have a good policy until the U.S. is actually involved in a fighting war. Amazingly, we have a good policy right now. Why do you want to screw it up? Less is the first time all week we've been on the same page. Uh, I agree. I mean, I think both you and Jamil pointed out that the Ukrainians have been succeeding on the battlefield and Russia's trying to throw up any flag to distract from that, right? We've got the rise of nuclear rhetoric. You've got the dirty, like rumors of dirty bomb. Now you've got the grain, you know, the, the, the grain shipments. It's really just Hail Marys all over the place to distract from like to winter is coming. We talk about it all the time. It's coming. And, you know, they they haven't seen success the way they thought they did when they when the invasion started in February. I, look, Jess, I mean, you're right. Winter is coming. It's like Game of Thrones, right? You know, and when winter comes, just like in Game of Thrones, when the White Walkers start showing up, the Russians are going to show up. The Russians are going to threaten oil and gas to Europe. They're going to threaten heating oil, natural gas. They're going to threaten grain shipments. This is their leverage. We have to take the leverage off the table. I, I get that we all love when diplomacy works, but you guys are hoping against hope if you think this is the last time the Russians are going to threaten grain shipments. And to your point, Jess, about food insecurity, Every time the Russians threaten this, the, the grain prices skyrocket and less people have have wheat. Now, I get less is going to tell you, well, all this grain from from Ukraine goes to Europe. Yes, but it affects the world price of, of world price of, of wheat and other grains, corn and barley and the like. 
It's a huge problem. We don't want to create more food insecurity and create all the problems that you correctly laid out, Jess. I think this namby-pamby approach of just, you know, pretend like diplomacy will work with the Russians is... Uh, Here's the one problem, Jamil. It is working. Right now, diplomacy is working. It puts the lie to your theory. Things on the ground are actually turning out very well for us at this point in time, given everything that has happened. Why would we screw that up? Well, there you have it. Let's get to the last word, and that's a wrap. Thanks to Gabriel Otis from NSI and Claude Jennings for the help producing today's episode. Join us again this upcoming Monday for the next installment of Fault Lines, our podcast that gets you smart fast on the national security debates shaking up America. 